0: Welcome to episode 256 of The Crate and Crowbar. It is the 28th of September, 2018. My name is Chris Thurston, and this morning I am joined by Philippa Waugh. Hi. So uh, due to a combination of uh, of busyness and illness, actually, we were unable to record in our customary evenings this week. So once again, Pip and I are up at 8.30 in the morning to record a podcast that will be a little shorter than, than usual because we won't do questions we're just going to talk about some of the things we've been playing um, but I would obviously like to apologize now to Pip for forcing her to do this up again
1: 8:30 up at 7:30 my friend
0: Well, I've been mm. up since six because this is my time.
1: <sighs> what do you want to meddle? Yes oh well, you can ask someone else
0: Good. So, uh, we were both at EGX last weekend, Mm. seeing games and things, and obviously that was, that was a week ago. Uh, But before we talk about uh, what we've been playing specifically, there's obviously some, some pretty big news this week, uh, which is the sort of uh, bankruptcy and closure of Telltale and the, um, I guess about 250 people made redundant, if I it was, remember correctly.
1: It's not exactly a closure. It's a majority closure because right. they're still running on a staff of, I think like 25 people. Mm. Uh, I think the statement was that they were like something nebulous, like fulfilling their obligations to the board or something. Right. Yeah. Um, whereas everybody else was, uh, let go. Immediately after, I, I don't know whether, like how causal this was. I'm assuming pretty causal, but mm. after, is it AMC and Smilegate and people after they pulled out of uh, some negotiations for funding? And so the end result was a lot of people losing their jobs, no severance pay, I believe, although they are now being sued by at least one former employee i think yeah um over that because of um particular uh, notice periods that that are stipulated in u.s law i think and mm. specifically californian law has a a, a more i think worker friendly version of that specific law yeah. as well um but anyway yeah and like one of the things that I, I think Wes over at Eurogamer wrote well about is the fact that, um, you know, at some point the, the tide seemed to turn in in terms of the narrative uh, to appeasing the people who wanted the, the, the last few episodes of The Walking Dead season. Mm. And I think there's some statement that is quite again it's like it, it's quite vague so they're talking about like ways to bring the the final i think is it two episodes i think so yeah to f- fruition um but it you know the fact that that's being talked about while people have you know no financial sort of i i can't it beggars belief it's so inhumane it's so idiotically awful and lacks it's it's the it's a fantastic demonstration of the lack of empathy that capitalism involves Mm. and the 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 specific strand of games culture or you know maybe more broadly media like fandom online specifically uh, can come out with this idea that like well yeah it's sad about your jobs and all but what about my you know couple of hours of
0: (laughs) it's the it's the nadir of kind of like consumer rights culture to some extent like which has has its place Mm. in some contexts, but is so overblown in terms of what people deserve and what is important and it's it shifts priorities and shifts the frame of how those priorities are set in a way that this is the apology that Telltale feel compelled to give. Yeah. Or Telltale management, I should stress, not not the company as a whole. I right. think that's the other thing is that it's illustrative of the danger of um talking about, you know, uh companies as whole enterprises. If anything this highlights that you know a company is made up of people whose good work and, and good decision making ultimately can be overruled by bad management and bad decision making. And those people ultimately suffer the most.
1: Mm. I just, I think, you know, cause there's a lot of stories that you can pick up on Twitter. You know, if you mm. look at particular hashtags or, um, dig into conversations that are happening, um, and, you know, I think I remember that some people had relocated, you know, across mm. the country with their families, you know, to, to start jobs at Telltale. Um, you know, as, as recently as I think within a last month kind of thing. And it, it's, I, and I don't want to say this as definitive because obviously I don't have any special personal insight or anything, but it's really hard to hear stories like that and not just view that as incredibly irresponsible and reckless on the part of the employer.
0: Mm. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, you know, I like, I don't know. And obviously the Uh, You know, uh, while I'm saying that the employees are people, the employers are people as well and have their own pressures and things to deal with. So I'm not, you know, I don't want to go too far down that road without any more research or insight or Mm. speaking to people. But I, I, and I think, I know that I'm really morning foggy, so I'm really hoping that this is coming out right and not doing anybody a disservice or anything but I would say that one takeaway this week if you've been watching any of the news, uh, you know, more broadly if Mm. you've been following the Telltale stuff is just be kind to people, you know Mm. the value of kindness the value of empathy the value of treating other people like human beings whose work and time and effort is worthy of your respect rather than I just, it's so valuable and it gets lost so easily, especially on Twitter, especially mm. on platforms where the comments at the end are so easy to just leave a shitty, you know, in in the case of my industry, slow news day yeah. or why is this news or, you know, just even just to fuck off. Mm. But like, I don't know. I
0: yeah, just no, you're absolutely right.
1: <laughs> tell someone you liked something they did today. Basically.
0: Yeah. Just, yeah. yes. Um, yeah, I think that's, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, it's enormously important at the moment. I think given, I mean, I know like the Capcom Vancouver was the same day, I believe another couple of hundred people that have been further closures this week. Um, and obviously, to have you know, like it just highlights the need for better industrial support for people who work in the games industry. And I, I and I think a yeah. I think that's I think you're right to draw attention to Wes from your gamers article because I do think along the same line that there is a need to to sort of redirect the attention um, of who makes games in this broader. Obviously, you know, one person can make a game; and that's a different thing. But um, towards the 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 craft on the ground to a substantial extent. Um, it's made me very cognizant of, of given that this is such an itinerant industry where people move around that we almost like the kind of structure to talk about their expertise as it moves around. We talk about companies making things, but often the people making things are doing so in, in bad conditions and in very uncertain conditions. And they end up taking that talent elsewhere. And yeah, I, do, I don't know if we even have the kind of apparatus in terms of, uh, how we tend to discuss companies and things in the games industry to draw more and, and, and more accurate attention to the actual expertise of of technical and artistic people as they work on games for lots of different companies, for example. Don't know if that makes any sense, but
1: I think it's interesting as well because um, and this is it. It's a tricky thing to sort of talk about in a a short space of time because it you know the the. Uh, uh, it needs both sides of an input. But I think part of that is that (laughs) given that we sort of need to operate within capitalism for, Mm. you know, uh, for a lot of this stuff, um, it is important now more than ever to, for, for readers of the internet, myself included to, be careful what you click on. Yeah, because even if you think it doesn't matter that you've clicked on kind of an outrage piece or a you know thing like that, the the information that you even opened it up that it attracted you to that page with potential advertising on it is a thing that then gets used to. Uh, as a, a, as a, as evidence for what people, I don't know, should be writing about or should be yeah. pursuing because that's where the money is at the moment. That's where, where the interest is. So I think I, I've been sort of talking about this in various forms for a while, but I think responsible consumption of media like really helps the people who write about this stuff get to write better things because everything is so driven by where the audience is where the traffic is and and that's not to say that the people writing stuff don't have a a role in curating that but like it it genuinely makes things easier when (laughs) when people click on, <laughs> on the types of story that they say they want people to start writing.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think that's absolutely right. I think the other thing is obviously it's, it's very, very difficult to meaningfully steer the algorithm. Something I found useful to do, uh, particularly on, on YouTube where this is possible is whenever something gets thrown up into my recommended, you know, watch next kind of feed that is from a source that I actively uh, dislike or I think is harmful, like an outrage source or something like that. Or, um, I, uh you can block them from that channel and say like, please don't show me this. And it, it creates a way of sort of trying to sort of put some kind of imprint on what you, that's an instance where you can actively almost unclick, which is a sort of a, a thing you can't leverage elsewhere. The thing I would say is a caveat to that. And maybe it doesn't apply to, I think you're right in the context of media. And I think people should consume stuff responsibly and, and affect, you know, use the internet responsibly, honestly. But I do believe that under this system, um, you know, often the onus of 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 trying to behave more responsibly within the system is felt most keenly by people who are themselves, like when I say system, I mean capitalism, are victims of it to whatever extent, or at least not profiting from it to the extent that a handful of people do. And I do believe that people should, you know, put their own kind of health in whatever form that takes first. And it is impossible to, uh, I think, or extremely difficult to be both sort of Perfectly ethical in how you go about living your life mm. and also simply meet your own needs within this a system that none of us can really get out of. And I, I think there's sometimes a danger of beating yourself up about being a, a bad actor within the system when you are not. And, and so it's, you know, if you, if you eat a McDonald's every now and then or buy a video game from a AAA studio every now and then, I think there's some sort of self compassion warranted mm. there. Uh, but yeah, absolutely where you can be critical about how you spend your money and time and attention you should be but yeah it's imbalanced with the fact that like unless you are also running a triple a game studio you're probably not ultimately uh, you you know having you know an impact that warrants the degree of guilt you may feel for indulging yourself and your needs
1: i think i just figure there's no point me waiting for the perfect formulation of this point to To raise it, it just felt relevant now. Yeah, no,
0: it absolutely does. It absolutely is. I just, you know, I kind of, and I think, I think you're absolutely right in the sense of like not clicking uh, something that you clearly understand as bait that you want to enjoy is a good, is a good, a good thing.
1: Or even just stuff that, you know, if (laughs) I don't know, like I I think it's just that thing where every now and again I try and think about the type of media landscape I want. Yeah. I, I think I value and then. I guess try to just be a bit more mindful that particular day. I guess of of what I'm reading and sort of just check in with myself every now and again. Yeah. Like also as to whether it's making me happier or not. You I know? think that's
0: a big thing, honestly. <laughs> um.
1: So yeah. Anyway. Well, sh- yeah. No,
0: that's a, you know, it's an important thing to discuss because it's hanging over the week and it uh, it colours everything else. Like so, I'd like to spend the rest of this. uh, episode talking about things that I genuinely like and made by people that I'd like to celebrate, if that seems okay.
1: I've been playing Parkasaurus.
0: Tell me about Parkasaurus. It's
1: so cute. I seem to have been playing all of the um, theme park management sims of the universe recently, and I would say that uh, Parkasaurus is an early access uh, dinosaur theme park management sim. Mm um management game whatever um and it's in early access at the moment um at the time of speaking it has only been out for like a few days in early access i think Mm. they've had i think they've had like earlier test builds out with people previously but um anyway so what it is is it's this lovely cartoonish bright um adorable Park sim where you lay out little dinosaur enclosures and you hire staff to like feed and clean and you know, all of that kind of regular theme park maintenance stuff. And, um, you also need to care for the little dinosaur needs. So, you know, some of them might need a particular type of terrain. So you, you pick out the basic a uh, tile set, so grass or mud or sand or something. Um, so for with uh, uh, with rainforest, I think you need the grass tiles and then you add a lot of water. Whereas for um, desert, you do not. <laughs> you use mm. the sand tiles and you you do not have much water. If you do have too much water, then that is no longer desert that is i don't know grassland or something um anyway so the dinosaurs have these different needs um they also you know to keep them happy they need toys to play with they need some of them will need like um other members of their species so because of their herd kind of instinct mm. it's very cute and um also if you hover over some of the elements on, you know, if you've selected a dinosaur, it will tell you who they imprinted on as their parent. Aww. And so your first ones will think that you're their parent.
0: Are you a character in the game or are you
1: just... You're the, you know... the big hand. Gold figure kind mm. of thing. Um, but as you get more of them, they might imprint on one of the other dinosaurs in their pen as their parent, which is really sweet. And I saw on their Trello board, I think um, some people have made suggestions about um, potentially having dinosaurs who have odd traits that get thrown up every now and again. I wonder if that could be linked to the imprinting system. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, uh, the suggestion that I saw on Trello was something like, uh, vegetarian carnivores. So a species that is traditionally carnivorous, maybe a veggie T-Rex or something. Um, and so that would be interesting if perhaps you'd put your T-Rex egg in with a, I don't know, a brachiosaurus or something. And it, you know, it, it thought it had a really long neck and wanted to eat trees or something. <laughs> I thought that would be adorable. So, um, uh, it, that's the advantage of early access, I guess, is being able to make suggestions like that mm. and see whether they get taken up. Um, but other, other than that, you also, you have a little portal and you can, get scientists to go dig for different fossils in other periods of time, different periods mm. of things. So the way that you get new dinosaurs, as far as I can tell, I think there might be a breeding element to it, but I'm not sure if it's implemented yet or not. Um, I've played a few hours of it. Uh, is this sense that you, uh, well, so you collect these fossils from elsewhere and then you can also pick up different types of gem in town so you get imperfect gems for you know sort of cheaper earlier dinosaurs and you get more expensive Mm. diamonds or you know like an epic gem or something for for your (laughs) t-rexes so and at the moment i'm i'm at the stage where i think i'm about five hours in Mm. and i have uh I've, i've got to the stage where I could build any dinosaur if I wanted. My park is making a lot of money and I've unlocked everything on the, the, the tech tree that uses dinosaur happiness points mm. to unlock. And I've unlocked everything except three things, I think on the science points tree. So, I thought at this point I will probably leave it alone until it's either out of early access or something significant changes. I think they're anticipating being in early access for about maybe eight months. Right. Um, but I have definitely enjoyed my, my four or five hours. And also it's just so adorable. Um, if you just watch the dinosaurs, if you watch, for example, the, the, uh, Triceratopses and, and they, they just sort of sometimes roll over, you know, they, mm-hmm. they roll around on the ground or they, you know, they, they want to play with the, the ball that you've put in the in their enclosure so they sort of pick it up with their with their beaks and throw it around and it's just the cutest thing and you get all these cosmetics i put a hat on some of them some of them are wearing shades but the thing that i really 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 lost my mind over was the cone of shame (laughs) you can get a cone of shame in the little shop and put it on them and They're not unhealthy as far as I can tell. Although to be fair, I haven't really experimented with any dinosaur conflict. I've Mm. very much shied away from that. And as soon as um, any of the dinosaurs were unhappy or I had one pen breakout and I just tranquilized the dinosaurs and built separate pens and they've been separated ever since. um, I wonder whether the campaign mode will have a lot more Mm. on that on that side of things, but I've, as a result, never had to heal dinosaurs or, you know, deal with, actual fights or anything like that so i don't know whether the cone of shame might have any actual role to play at some point in the in the game presently it's just a shame at the moment it's just a cosmetic that just makes my heart actually like break for whoever is happening to wear it at that point
0: profound point of relation i know
1: currently it's on um prue who is a, uh, I think she's a Styracosaurus. It's a good name for a Styracosaurus. And and so she's just bimbling around. She's still playing with her toys and, you know, all of that stuff.
0: We both played (laughs) quite a lot of Jurassic World Evolution. and We were both quite cold on that. Uh, I would say this
1: is the best uh, dinosaur theme park management sim certainly released in the last year. (laughs) So... (laughs) let's uh let's see how that goes <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so i yeah i was not keen on jurassic world evolution i care not for it <laughs> um although i will say it had a similar degree of oh when you tranquilized a dinosaur and were airlifting it while it flopped around mm. it was like it's like a AR sleepy cute. toddler yeah but i mean that's not really enough to carry a game is yeah, it especially like- <laughs> an expensive game <laughs> so um anyway but yeah the usual caveats with early access because yeah you know early access although i would say that i was not disappointed with the amount that i played for the current asking price of uh i think it's just over 15 pounds mm. uk monies so
0: um
1: yeah, I, I, I mean, and you saw my screenshots. Yeah,
0: no, it's, yeah.
1: They're just so cute. There's a lot of clipping. There's been some, I, I've encountered a few bugs, nothing game breaking. Just, you know, for some reason, after one of the updates, everyone stopped coming to my park. And I was like, Oh, well, that's a bit of a critique, isn't it? Like, what have I done? Has there been an article in the newspaper about me, Pip? Um, and, uh, no, it was just a bug. I just needed to like reload there's no there's no like newspaper boycott function in the game it's just that that was just my my mind trying to make sense of it but no it just needed a restart and at some point um i after another update it decided that instead of ordering i don't know 20 plant food things to be delivered per day it just whacked it up to 300 and I was like wait what <laughs> um, cuz you would ha- you would have had to um manually click for every single one of those i knew that it wouldn't have been me so but i did have to click all the way back down and uh, i it took me a little while to notice so i was a out of money because it was very expensive. I think I was spending £9,000 a day on on dinosaur greenery.
0: Please help, my family's like, dying.
1: It was basically, oh great, 9k on kale every day. <laughs> and um, I also now have a surplus of plants that I don't think I can possibly get through in the entire lifetime of my park. So I've got, yeah, if anyone needs any kale, I've got 3,000 of them somewhere a
0: waitrose a full waitrose of kale
1: (laughs) the thing is if i'm so glad that the game doesn't seem to model um salad vegetable decay <laughs> because mm. otherwise this would just be turning really soggy in the bottom of a fridge for mm. you which know. is the
0: fate of kale
1: exactly so i don't oh <laughs> <laughs> so yeah there are things like that and um there are things like the campaign mode hasn't been implemented it's it's just the sandbox and the um the basic park buildy side of things but it's very charming very mm. lovely mm. i really like it
0: lovely I'd like to pay that, but I might wait till it's out.
1: It's more, um, it's on the mega aquarium sort of, uh, side of management sim hmm. things.
0: You got, uh, had a good week for fish and dinosaurs.
1: Oh, it's been so you good. You've
0: bug park keeper and you've finished.
1: I know. And birds,
0: actually, no, you're not done yet.
1: Well, so, but you know, in addition, I have this month also played theme hospital, whatever it is, two point two point hospital, and graveyard keeper. Mm. So you know, I'm I'm definitely
0: you are just keeping stuff.
1: I mean, maybe I just want some extra side jobs. Mm. Just just keeping my side hustle going. <laughs> anyway yeah so that's that's been awesome that's parkasaurus that was definitely not talking about egx either we i swear we'll get round to that yeah. it's your turn
0: <laughs> well so um i was going to rattle through because i appreciate we're a bit we are short on time um i was going to rattle through uh some of my highlights from egx mm. if that sounds reasonable Um one of them cause it is also sort of topical but i don't know what to say about it, is um total war three kingdoms which I played just kind of on a whim because it was a a station free. And that's how I do events. I don't queue. I just walk around and if there's a space free, I'll play anything really. Um, and obviously I, I like total war. I've always liked total war and they've, they've had their own, um, uh, particular, uh, sort of, I don't want to say controversy, uh, engagement with a particular kind of reactionary, um, Sentiment this week, which I don't want to dwell on too much, but I was really impressed by Three Kingdoms for a bunch of reasons. One being that the UI is beautiful. This is the Total War set in in China, um, and uh, it looks it looks lovely. Um, and they've done a lot of work with the UI, and it's the first Total War I've played that feels really good. And I mean that in an almost like a kind of action game feel kind of way. Just, they've really put the work in, like, Total War has always been a game of quite abstract fighting, both on the campaign level, but also specifically when big units of hundreds of people are hitting each other from the top down, you don't really necessarily see what's going on.
1: Is that, is that true of, um, the Warhammer? Yeah.
0: Like, I think, end the, uh, as well. yeah. Like, the Warhammer has some good stuff, but like, I think notably, especially Total War Warhammer 1 struggled for a bit, like, adds a magic system, but the magic didn't feel great. Oh, okay. it's like it would just sort of like happen and you'd know that like 20 damage a second is happening in this area but it's just some particle effects and and um, a bar moving and oh, okay they've done a very good job of um stripping down the uh sort of foregrounding the information you really need and and um sort of tucking away the stuff you don't not hiding it but like you know making sure that when you mouse over something you get immediately what you like that uh, looks nice mm. um it seems to move a bit quicker. Like everyone just runs a bit faster and just keeps moving. And you also have, um, hero characters that are genuinely like feel like huge badasses and sort of, I, I don't want to dwell on the new stuff, the stuff happened this week, but like pertinent to the new stuff is the general I was commanding in the, um, in the, in the demo. I uh, had two and the, but the, the main one was like, uh, this, uh, really like, um, basically like sort of, um, like badass kind of like, uh, I think she's a princess, but like a kind of general, princess, warrior, queen of this particular Chinese dynasty. Um And they have done things like the generals shout the orders that you're giving. So there's like if you give an order to a block of units that belongs to a particular general and that general's in range, you hear the general kind of shout this order and they have a lot more freedom to move. So they don't get bogged down as much and they sort of, sort of like storm about the battlefield kind of having this big impact and it feels really good. And um generals can duel each other now, in which case they're locked into a fight. And whichever one wins gets a huge buff and that those duels are really beautifully animated. Um, and you can interrupt them, but doing so has like huge diplomatic ramifications for your honor, basically. Um, and that feels really, really good as well, particularly when like, cause they, they get off their horses to duel and then climb back on. And it just, I don't know. I just really like, it was one of those total war demos they do. It shows where it's just one battle and, and, you know, there's no kind of broader context or anything like that. But I went from like having new, knowing it was existing, Knowing, sorry, knowing that it was coming and not really thinking about it much to being like, oh cool, this is like, uh, again, a really meaningful step forward for that series that just keeps on trucking on. So that was good. I liked that a lot. Uh, that's the only sort of like big publisher thing that is in my top list, I think. Um, other game I really, really liked was Kine, which is by Gwen Frey, which is a 3D, but grid based, um, puzzle game. Have you played it Pip?
1: I wanted to, but quite nicely there was a queue every time I yeah went over which um I I was trying to do that thing of I had a few appointments in the end um for for various games but other than that I I like just playing like you do whatever's free and something that i really liked was that i actually didn't get to play that much stuff in the left field collection because yeah. people were playing it constantly and that was so nice So genuinely lovely to see it did mean i didn't play much of, <laughs> of things um but yeah it was it was just so good to walk along that that line and just be
0: yeah like- yeah yeah see, see, see everything waiting, really busy people yeah people i did manage to jump onto kai while it was free and so yeah so it's a good based puzzle game about basically like i mean so in its in its most abstract sense in a kind of white box sense it would be about um maneuvering sort of 3d objects that have particular kind of movement profiles uh across a kind of like uh a sort of a uh, narrow kind of series of promontories to reach a, an exit point. And, but what it actually is about is musical instruments that are kind of trying to make their way to, um, a big pile of sheet music on a stand at the end of the level and they each move in a different way. So they kind of roll basically. And, and it's hard to explain, uh, honestly, uh, without very easy to immediately pass if you watch it and hard to explain. So I'll put a link to, to one of the trailers in the show notes. Um, but you have like an accordion that kind of expands and contracts as it moves in different directions. And that changes it And a drum that can move along its stand to kind of place its center of gravity in different places. Uh, one is very clever. It's, it reminds me a lot of, it feels like a 3d imagine if you will, a fully three-dimensional Alan Hazelden, like it has a little bit of that kind of like puff. Perf- oh Stephen sausage roll that kind of like
1: i've met alan Hazelton. he is 3d <laughs> yeah. can confirm
0: okay i'd never met him so i just assumed that he's always pushing a box <laughs> um just but- in
1: two dimensions
0: <laughs> exactly it's like
1: flat stanley yeah,
0: he's like yeah uh, yes alan Hazelton's trying to get out of this doorway but he's got a box seen, um-
1: the thing is if he only would turn sideways he could just go anywhere
0: yeah, exactly um <laughs> what if alan Hazelton who's strafe um anyway um but no uh and it's by gwen Frey who i believe used to work for irrational on bioshock uh, um as an animator i believe i might be wrong but um but that really shows because the animation is absolutely beautiful and also it's got this kind of like constant jazzy soundtrack that plays off the instruments that you're shuffling around because they make noise as they move and it just sounds great as well and i was really really impressed by it so that's that's thing one Mm. um I'm going to rattle through things a little bit because I want to get, I want to give some shout outs basically. I don't want to miss anybody. Yeah. Um, the other game, uh, on the music theme, the other game I liked quite a bit was Yellow Rock Road. Mm. Did you play this? It was in one of the, (laughs) one of the kind of indie showcase bits. Um, so this, uh, is a, a two button rhythm game. Um, I think it's the the first game for the people who are making it, uh, post uni, I think. Um, and it's a two button rhythm game where you travel through time having to kind of play at different gigs, which is the kind of conceit. But all that really means is, is, is you are basically like you have one button that you tap to a beat, which is established as basically like a series of dots orbit a, a, an abstract circle with a line in it. And as they cross the line, Mm. you press the button and they move at different speeds. They spawn at different speeds and eventually have to kind of intuit the rhythm and intuiting the rhythm is the big part of it. And then on the other button, Uh, Every time you get it right, you fill up a a bar of juice, basically. Mm -hmm. And on the other button, you can uh, press that button to gain a special effect. You can hold that other button to gain a special effect based on the level. And each level introduces like a different mechanic. So you might also have like a orbiting kind of like uh, obstacle that means you can't see the, the dots of the line at some point or the dots may fade in and out of view. Which means that again, intuiting the beat becomes the game. Like it shows you less and less basically. But normally you can press, you can gain points and press this other button to either slow things down or, or be able to see through the obstacles or to kind of switch off whatever that level of special difficulty conceits are. Mm. Um, which again, it's, I, I'm basically picking games that are really easy to understand at the moment you see them and, and hard to explain, but I thought it was really elegant and, um, particularly demonstrates like how many mechanics you can get out of like one button. Uh, they said afterwards when I was talking to them that it originally had eight buttons and it's just not necessary. It's really interesting how they managed to do it. One of the reasons it was drawing attention on the final day of EGX was they had, it is a two button game and they had um, rigged it up on the final day to be controlled with lemons. So you put your, your hand on a bit of foil and mm. then they had two lemons hooked up to a little switch, obviously that, you know, would, would take a current and, and translate mm. it into an input. Um, and so you had a left lemon and a right lemon and you'd sort of control them with your hands. Oh, and that was obviously cute and it draw people over. It's not that I think they did have to feel questions like, will the game come with lemons? How do I get this set up at home? Is this like your Guitar Hero style special lemon controller? It's not. Amazing. Uh, it was just for the show.
1: I uh, remember when my sister used to work at a toy shop, someone came over with a box and was like, do I have this at home? This it says it needs H2O. <laughs> and it was like, <laughs> Oh <laughs> yes, yes, yes you do. <laughs> Comes out of the tap. Um, <laughs> it's like a cute moment, but um, yeah, it's like. It, but where do I lemons? Life has not given me lemons.
0: <laughs> this this caused a bit of consternation for me personally in terms of trying to discuss the game with him afterwards because I think lemons for me are probably the most suggestive um, among the most suggestive fruits. Are they? And when that's because. In what way? Well, it's because. Like my kind of like formative album, by which I mean I was that she played this in the in my crib before I could speak by my dad is Led Zeppelin too. And Led Zeppelin 2 is basically nothing but a series of... Appro- <laughs> Led
1: Zeppelin 2, step up to the streets. Exactly.
0: Two Led, two Zeppelin. Um, and um it, it, that album is nothing basically, or even that that, that band, uh, which I love, is, is, is nothing but a series of a kind of appropriated dick analogies from the history of traditional blues. And foremost among those appropriated dick analogies is probably Lemons. What? Uh, nicked from First Killing Floor by Harling Wolf and I think Travelling Riverside Blues by Robert Johnson.
1: Okay. Um, well, I... The
0: lemon song on Led Zeppelin 2 ha- has the line, um, squeeze my lemon and the juice runs down my leg, um, which is, is a euphemism I discovered at an early age, uh, thinking it was just a song about lemons. And that has coloured lemons for me basically forever.
1: But like, why would, what?
0: But it, it then becomes very difficult to then step away from the demo booth at EGX and say, thank you for letting me have a go on your lemons, or I enjoyed the lemon, or uh, I, I struggled to touch this lemon while also touching that lemon. This, like, this is a situation I found myself in Sunday on EGX with a bit of a hangover, and I just wanted to get that off my chest.
1: But why would a lemon be a penis?
0: Well, I think, you know, it, I don't want to get into the... the, the I mean, are well... They,
1: do they have different lemons in America?
0: <laughs> yes. Oh, you know, the,
1: hang on. Are Led Zeppelin America? No,
0: they're British. But what? they a lot of their music oh, is based oh. on blues from America, so... Okay, yes.
1: but I mean, they,
0: particularly this analogy stems directly. I
1: really from don't feel like Led Zeppelin know what lemons are.
0: Well, I mean, blame Robert Johnson for this, honestly.
1: I well, um, would? But
0: I guess it's just like a famous, like the Tennessee Dick Lemon is probably a thing.
1: But so, if you're going to hand someone a lemon and say, "Which sexy thing does this make you think of?" Surely you'd go with boob because of <laughs> the nipple end.
0: I think that's a reasonable critique. Like
1: what? Uh, of what, blues. Why, these people need to go to the doctor.
0: <laughs> I think, or back to school. I think maybe, you know, when, when a lot of sort of blue standards were being conceived, you had to go a little bit further for your analogies. You couldn't go to the obvious one because it was a more censorious time.
1: Like what, no sausages or? Yeah,
0: exactly. Like sausages like too, too close. So you have to go a little bit further out. Right. I think that's probably the reason.
1: But also if you're like, why would you... It's not subtle though. Squeeze a lemon and and then like, because the thing, right, no. So the problem here as well is that like the, the juice would just be this awful sour stingy like, yeah,
0: and I mean, I'm not saying it's a perfect analogy. I'm just saying, I mean, think about I'm how just this is. I'm saying,
1: imagine like, why would I just none of this is appetizing or like <laughs> sexy or like. I mean, no, but surely you'd want this stuff to be in some way tantalizing. It's just like, oh, good, you've put your finger through an overripe lemon. That's awful. You know I used to work <laughs> I'm trying in to a pick a, fat. no, I used to work in an exotic fruit and veg shop because of course I do, but like you know you 'd get unwaxed lemons and they 'd go off quite quickly, no, because the wax would be you know a, I guess a protective barrier, so mm. mold would actually grow more easily on. On an unwaxed lemon. And so every morning that you go in, you'd have to pick over the, you know, the trays of fruit and things and remove stuff that had gone bad. And, you know, occasionally you'd pick up a lemon and your fingers would just go through it because it would have rotted, you know? Yeah. And, and that I just, wasn't good. I feel good. like we've
0: got different challenges. You, just,
1: you squeeze a lemon and then suddenly it's all over your hand, you're sticky, it <laughs> smells of, like, slightly of mould, there's a green powder on everything. Yeah. Like, none of this has gone well for anybody. I'd like
0: to take this moment to apologise to the developers of Yellow Rock Road. You made oh, an excellent sorry, game yeah. and I've basically managed to derail this into a conversation about the weaknesses of, of the traditional uh, penis lemon analogy i mean and you know this this obviously has no relationship whatsoever with the phrase when life gives you lemons um and life in this case gave me lemons and i i, and I ruined a podcast
1: that's awful <laughs> hmm? no no
0: okay um uh very quickly then the the final game i wanted to mention um is called Valfaris, which i hadn't heard of and they they basically won the egx uh uh, booth placement lottery, because I don't think anyone knew exactly what point the, uh, the, where the, uh, entrance ticketing hall was going to enter into. And it turned out it was basically right in front of this booth. Um, but this is a side scrolling sort of 16 bit style action game. Um, reminds me a bit of Turrican or Little Contra E or like, uh, basically like a lot of, it feels like whatever kind of point in, in sort of interesting throwback pixel art we're at, We've arrived at some point in the early 90s, the sort of Cygnosis Amiga 1200 era, which is very deep in my, like, a mega drive, very deep in my kind of association. So it's a kind of grimdark um, action game uh, where you play as basically the most... Uh, it has very distinctive art style, and I don't want to say that it's very geiger uh, but the main character is might fundamentally be the most Warhammer man alive. Um He looks like a cross between... Gary, and we watched it recently, so it's one on my mind, but Gary Oldman at the beginning of Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula, where he's wearing that red kind of ribbed lobster armor, Mm. but also the emperor from Warhammer Hmm. 40,000. So big, big sword, uh, laser gun, flowing black hair, always caught in the wind of what might be a kind of smoke machine or something at a a metal gig. And you fight robo dogs and Cybermen. And, um, it looks great. So I'll put a link to what it looks like. Cause it's very, very much, if you, yeah, very much in that mold, um, but with, um, and it has it, all of its 3D, uh, animation is, all of, sorry, all of its character animation is done in 3D and then sort of pixelized, which gives it the kind of look of, it's not Mortal Kombat is like game sprites made out of F, uh, real actors, FMV, but, um, it has that similar kind of like, I don't know. It's hard to describe again. Why am I in this? Why am I entering this medium? But kind of that kind of particularly early nineties sort of um, like sort of stylized um, quite expressive animation that I, uh, I think is, is pretty rad and I, I liked it. Like it's quite, it seems quite early and I think it's got a while to go. Um, but um, uh. lots of, um, but like quite a long demo and and I found it quite um, promising. And I, if only for the, for the sci-fi art, which exists very much in the kind of, Geiger, John Blanche spectrum that I uh, have a particular affection for. So I will put a link to that as well. And that, that was my highlights of EGX. Nice. Um, pretty much. Um, Pip, what were your highlights of the show?
1: Um, so in the left field uh, side of things, I liked small talk. It was really interesting. You attend a party. At the end of the world, and i I checked on this i fact checked this by looking out of the window at this party, and uh meteors seem to be hitting the city, so oh, dear like, oh, checks out um but you you drift around, you can look at things, you can interact with the people and, and engage in that t- small talk, but they'll tell you interesting stories that make them kind of vulnerable. And I wanted to play it a few more times, but I also, I did that thing of wanting other people to experience it. So I'm, I'm looking forward to when it actually comes out and I can um, tinker with it and experience more of those stories because I only, I only, f- uh, went into the one because what you do is you can talk to people and sometimes it will deposit you into a a kind of a different reality where you can explore their anecdote in a kind of surreal environment, which was interesting. And the art style is sparse, but lovely. And yeah, it was just, um, odd, and whimsical, but not in a twee way. Mm. It was just cool. I liked it, really liked it. Um And there was also Beyond Blue, which looks really promising. It's mm. from the, the people who made uh, Never Alone. Um And they have... Uh, it, it's done in collaboration with, in some fashion, I can't remember which term... They used partnership collaborators, basically, there is some involvement with the BBC and specifically the Blue Planet Two side of things um, and it's uh, it, it there 's an endless ocean vibe to this mm. you You go underwater you you can explore, you swim around, look at creatures, you follow little tasks that have been set by. Um, by your team or that you're trying to you know figure out why uh, in the in the demo build you're you're um swimming to find a discarded uh tracker thing that i think a whale has shrugged off you know that kind of stuff um and then Towards the end, you spot a pod of, of whales swimming upwards, and I believe one or more of them seem to be damaged by something, which is the hint at, you know, more of a, a story to be told or that will unfold in the, in the main game. So that's, I mean, obviously it's an underwater game that references things like Blue Planet. And, uh, Endless Oceans. So I'm all in already. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so that was, that was another thing. It's, it's beautiful. It really is. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing where they go with it. Um, although I will say that I'm interested as well to see how, um, to see more underwater biomes, I guess, because this was a lot more in the, um, slightly darker um slightly sparser uh ocean it yeah. wasn't a coral reef or anything and i i wonder whether that's just because that stuff will need a lot more time you know and is more intense in terms of you know uh graphical requirements or you know whatever else maybe mm. light effects. if you're closer to the surface maybe they'd want caustics you know on on reefs and things like that so um anyway but it it looks fascinating and have a have a little look at at the trailer and see um so there was that and another standout was Willowbrook Post which is again it's it's really early on in development so I am holding off on much judgment much judgment, but, uh, the pitch was animal crossing meets papers, please. Mm. And so you are tasked with managing the post office that your parents run while they're away. And you live there. You can, I, I believe just interact with the, the locals and forge relationships or not, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and, uh, I met, the delivery person I met one of the people as they came in to collect a parcel. I started poking around in the in the house and finding you know, things like a, a recipe for apple pie and the ingredients for apple pie. And also a note on the wall from a villager who would like an apple pie. So I mm. feel like <laughs> there's a certain amount of, um, you you can intuit <laughs> the, the types of, of quests that perhaps are involved at some point in yeah. play. Um, or well not quest, but you know, optional, yes, yeah, yeah. optional tasks. um, I didn't really get a feel for the papers please side of things. I know that there's going to be, you know, document checking or manipulation or yeah. that kind of, I guess, admin side of things. Um But I also don't really have a sense of how that will feel because the demo cut out before that i think it's still relatively early they only just announced it so yeah. it was more of a have a little play of this thing and see what it is yeah as we announce so that was interesting i did find out though uh, the the one person that you do meet as she comes in to collect her parcel is uh obviously your your first villager your first customer that kind of thing and i had previously been in the storeroom and seen the parcels on the side and i thought oh i wonder if i can move them and when you when i clicked on them um the the option was only to open
0: hmm. and
1: so i did that because it was the only thing that i could do in that yeah. moment but when she came in to collect her parcel there was the the only options it then gave me when she asked whether it had arrived were I could lie to her and say oh no nothing's come in or yeah I took it <laughs> <laughs> rather than sorry I unwrapped it here it is right. So essentially she stormed out because I told her that I kept it <laughs> and I am now a thief, <laughs> I think. She she does not like me and rightly so because I was a jerk. Um, so I'm wondering how badly I could run my parents' post office into the ground, you know, whether mm. maybe, maybe we were estranged, maybe that's why I don't live there and work there <laughs> and they're just sort of,
0: <laughs> they,
1: they should not have trusted me. And there was also mention of i think a greenhouse where you could maybe grow crops and things i don't know how mu- how far it will go into that life sim mm. um territory as opposed to being a post office management sim or yeah. a or a kind of admin challenge relationship building storytelling thing mm. um so and and i think um at, at some point that will become a lot more clear obviously when, when there's more game to it Yet. and we'll sort of figure it out. So was it that paused for again? Willowbrook, post. Willowbrook post. So yeah, I'm trying to think, uh, what else? There were a lot of other things that I had some time with. Bradwell conspiracy was another one. Um, aesthetically it reminded me a lot of, uh, Stanley parable because it's set in a museum, um, just after, uh, oh, this one is just after, a. a bad thing has happened and the most interesting thing about it it's not in, in terms of tone it's not like stanley parable at all it's more just the the aesthetic will probably remind people but um the interesting thing about that is that you have somebody on the outside that you're communicating with um in the manner of uh kind of fire watchy you yeah. know? um, but the way that you communicate with her, Amber, is you take photos with your, with your, uh, I guess Google glass stand in right. and send them to her. So that's an interesting thing. That's how you tell her that you're at the right terminal or, you know, that you found something useful mm, that might help her. Yeah, pictures and things. I'm interested to see how much they lean into the possibilities of that and what is possible with an indie game. Yeah. Um, it, it, Just in terms of the, the resource intensity of it, because I did try taking pictures of some nonsense things when she'd asked me to do something and she didn't get annoyed or, you yeah, tell me yeah like, Interesting. why are you taking a photo of your pen you know what yeah. what, what are you doing <laughs> so i think that there is some scope for that but i do appreciate that i played an early build it yeah. was very much the devs doing the placeholder voices and things like that so right. i'm again i'm interested to see how it pans out um Uh, The demo left with uh, me having been introduced to a thing called a substance gun which is obviously the main the main way of interacting with with the world where you have this tool that can absorb blueprints for objects and then as long as you have a, a a substance that is called substance as it's the fuel for this tool, um, you can then print out different versions of that object. Oh, cool. So the, the demo lets you print out a version of a key and put it in a lock, you know, that kind of thing. Or, um, I think I saw someone printing out different platforms. My, my build bugged out slightly early, which was a shame. And I have asked to try again, uh, which is, hopefully i will get to um so that's that's no shade on the devs it's just cuz <laughs> demo builds are hard uh but yeah so it that was that was cool uh i don't think there was anything else that um that stuck out amazingly there were a few things that were promising um collage atlas i've spoken about before continues to look beautiful um graham's game was there and (laughs) lisa's game was there uh and i could not play them in front of either of them at all i just i Obviously I would have to disclaim the hell out of them on this podcast and anywhere else that I offered any form of opinion, but I just, I can't play things that people have made in front of the people that made them. Can't do it. (laughs) Won't do it. I can. (laughs) Well, I mean, obviously I can for my job, but friends, (laughs) you know, (laughs) otherwise that would just be, I'd be on a press trip and I'd have to scurry away to the loo with a build or something. (laughs) It's like, don't look at me. But yeah so those were there if you if you played them that that is cool <laughs> i i did not so I that's, that's primetime
0: detective and robot we should say yes. what they're called at least we can say what they're called
1: well let's <laughs> not panda.
0: <laughs> but we are also out of time mm. i'm afraid yeah that's all of the uh the pod we got time for this week
1: i've just about woken up chris <laughs> oh good
0: um time to go to work um uh. if you'd like to send us a question for next week we'll hopefully have a a, a full cast, um please email us the questions at create or tweet us at crate and crowbar. Mm. Uh you can also find us on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash crate and crowbar, and hang out with our Discord community. The link for that is on our website.
1: Maybe also tell us what you like to EGX.
0: Yeah. That'd be cool. Send us an email or a tweet or any or just talk about it on Discord. Mm. Um if you uh, thanks as ever to our Patreon backers. You can find out more about how the podcast and its spin-offs are supported at patreon.com forward slash crate and crowbar. Uh, and that's about it from us.
1: Mm-hmm. Thanks for listening
0: it. everybody.